I'm in there, I just had had an abortion and I'm in my bed and my mom has no idea. And I am crying inconsolably, but I would wake up just saying, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to today's episode of The Real Talk 238 podcast. This episode is a sensitive topic. And so therefore, I am placing a trigger warning at the very beginning. I know for some people that have had an abortion, they may find listening to the subject matter difficult or challenging. And this is not intended to be difficult or challenging, but this is to bring awareness of one individual testimony going through an abortion and coming out the other side and how God can use that situation from their past to help others in the present. The reason why I am releasing this episode is because January is the month of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So I think it's an important time to have this episode released. I think it's an important time to bring awareness because when it comes to abortion, many of us, myself included, are not familiar of what goes on the after effects of when a woman has an abortion. So again, there's a trigger warning. Do not listen to this around small children. And I hope this will bless you. And again, if you know somebody who has had one, please share this episode with them. The interview will begin after a short announcement on a training that I am conducting. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. Are you a minister or the wife of a minister? Do you ever question what you would do if someone in your local congregation is feeling suicidal? Do you know what signs to look for if someone was feeling suicidal or had a history of trauma? Do you know what to do or how to approach an individual who has been impacted by someone close to them who has completed a suicide? What many people do not know is that suicide impacts over 800,000 people worldwide every year. 
Well, now until February 15th, 2022, I, Denise Lee, the host of the Real Talk 238 podcast, will be conducting a free training for those who are ministers or the spouse of a minister. This can include a pastor, a pastoral team, the church leadership, an evangelist, or a missionary. Topics that will be covered in this training is appropriate terminology to use, what the risks of suicide are, the facts versus the myths surrounding suicide, how to identify warning signs, how to identify the protective factors in relation to suicide, how to recognize compassion fatigue versus what burnout is, how our brains and bodies respond to trauma, how to recognize signs of either unhealed trauma or an individual who has not disclosed they've had a trauma history, appropriate questions to ask in cases of either trauma or suicide, necessary steps to take when someone has suicidal thoughts, has a history of trauma, or is struggling with compassion fatigue, creating a mental health team in your congregation, steps to take after a suicide has been completed, and then aftercare for the individual whose family member, church member, or someone on their pastoral team has completed a suicide. This training will consist of four hours and going to cover both suicide awareness and prevention and trauma-informed care. And it can take place either virtually or in person. This training is part of a research project that is a requirement of the education specialist of the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program that I am currently involved in and taking at Jacksonville State University. To participate in this training, you must be 18 years of age or older. You must be involved in ministry of some capacity, and that includes those who are licensed. It can also include those who are not licensed as ministers. They must also complete the required documents that go with this training and a two-month post-training follow-up interview. If you are interested in the free training for ministry, please send me an email at info, that's I-N-F-O, at liferecoverycounseling.com stating you would like to sign up for the training for ministry on suicide awareness and prevention and trauma-informed care. You can also find the information on the Real Talk 238 podcast Facebook page. Now, let's get started with the next episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast. And here we go. Hey, everyone. Thank you for coming to on today and listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast. I am your host, Denise Lee. Today, I'm excited about my guest, who is a friend of mine. I met her when I was in Austin in November. She is just pretty cool beans, I have to say. But this is Adriana Camp. She is from Mexico, Missouri. She's a homemaker. She's married to Russell, and they've been married for 30 years. She has three grown kids, two guys and a gal, and she has their spouses that she loves dearly. She has a Maltapu named Carter. She's been in the church for 28 years. She attends Landmark Apostolic Church, which is in the Lake of the Ozarks. She currently serves in ministry as a preacher's wife, a youth Sunday school teacher. She's momentarily a youth pastor, and she's also an anointed speaker. She's been involved in ministry for 15 years, and she describes herself, and I have to totally agree with her descriptions, as outgoing, friendly, energetic, lively, spiritually minded, empathetic, caring, and an overthinker. And she also has four grandkids. I almost left that one out. And a fun fact about her is that she has been to 29 states and 15 countries. 
Wow. So I think that is awesome. Hey, Adriana, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. I have been so looking forward to this because I am your number one fan. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where to put that, but thank you. Um, so, so when we met, we met at, in Austin at the Apostolic Healthcare International Conference. And that was such a, that was a really good conference. What was your takeaway from the conference? Wow. I, w- it was a blessing. I just think that I feel kind of uh, the same way about your podcast as that, I, that I felt about the conference. It was just, we were talking about topics that nobody really talks about. I just feel like it was just needful and those people acted apostolic, no matter how, you know what I mean? They were medical professionals, every single one, and everybody just, they were apostolic first. Right. I really, the whole thing, I was there, of course, speaking on abortion. I was not a medical professional, but I was there all the same. And and you were there speaking about, you know, your expertise. And so I met so many awesome people, you know, so I was just thankful to have been there. I think that was my biggest takeaway too, is that it didn't matter if they were surgeons, if they were anesthesiologists, if it, they were nurses or oncologists, it didn't matter if they were the ones that did the billing or answered the phones or set appointments, whatever the case, it is such a, it was such an awesome conference. And yeah, first and foremost, they're apostolic. I, I just left there. I think I was just really filled up when I left there was just awesome. When I met you there and I've been praying about this particular topic and you kind of mentioned it just a bit. I've been praying about having somebody on the podcast that understood about abortion. That is a taboo topic. So I'd been praying the night we had a dinner. Oh man. And that food was so good. It was at an Italian restaurant in Austin. And I just say, if you go visit Austin, you've got to go visit some of the food places down in the the domains. Uh Yeah. So walked in, we'd been to service and then went afterwards for the banquet. And, and I'm looking around because I have PTSD. So I'm looking around, where's a place where I can see everything. And there was this table in the back corner and sat down. And I remember I, I didn't sit close to you. I, there was a seat between us because I didn't know what you would think. I didn't know if you would be offended if you were like, because some people are just not okay with that. And I was trying to be respectful. And the first thing you told me was what? You don't want to sit by me? And I was like, oh, this is my person right here. I was like, <laughs> I got so tickled at you. But then you're, you started. I said, scoot over. Right. <laughs> and. And then you were like, you just immediately started telling me it wasn't long. You started sharing your story with me. And I think you had even said you, oh, you wouldn't want to hear my story. I'm like, oh yeah, I would. And I didn't know what that point, what it was about. And then you opened up some, not, not a lot, but you did start opening up about you had had an abortion. And I was like, you need to come on my podcast. (laughs) So right you know this is a taboo topic so I really do appreciate you coming on today and talking about your story now how old were you when when that had occurred I was 18 years old when I had the abortion yes there's a another individual involved was he aware of it the the father yes he knew I was 
I was pregnant. We were in high school and he was 17 and I was 18, but we were, we were just kids and he was on board with whatever I wanted to do. So he said, whatever you choose, that w- that's what we'll do. And I didn't know that then, but I know that now that is just a cop-out way to say, you decide this way, whatever happens, I can blame you for it. But at the time, I thought it was just, a, just such a great thing that he was going to support me no matter what. And maybe that's what, you know, he, he thought, you know, he was going to support me no matter what I did. So yeah, he was, he was aware of it and we went through with it. Yeah. Now, did he go with you? Because I know some guys won't go. You know, Denise, this is such a weird, ever, ever since I came out with my story and, 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 you know, I've been speaking about it and stuff. I, I just have such a block of that, of that whole part. And so I don't remember how I got there. I don't remember how I left. There's a lot of obscure parts. I remember bits and pieces, but I don't remember things that I would really love to remember. I don't remember um, if he went with me. I don't know. You don't remember a lot of it of going and, and I imagine that was probably pretty traumatic for you. Yes. Yes. And so a little bit of background on that. When I was 14 years old, a a person that I was close to had an abortion. I was actually kind of involved, not in the abortion or in this decision, but I, I knew that this person was pregnant and I knew that this person had a, a weird relationship with the father of their baby. So I knew that they had an abortion. And so this person I was really close to, I almost want to say back, thinking back now that that had some connection with my abortion because I knew this woman had had an abortion. So I, that was the thing to do. That was how you took care of something that you didn't want, you know, pretty much an answer to your situation. Now, did you at all talk to your mom about it? No, no. That was a definite no. No, (laughs) no. To this day, I do think my mom knows about my abortion, but I don't, we've never discussed it. We've never discussed that part. And I, and I feel like I'm going to at some point, but now we have not not had that conversation, you know, even though it's been years later, I'm sure that's probably going to be a challenging conversation. Definitely. Yes. Yes. After the abortion was how long did the father stay around? So this is the interesting thing. And and this is also, you know, when you don't, when you're in this situation, well, uh, let me back up a little bit. There's things that you don't know about just because you've never experienced them. Right. You know, there's things that you, you have experienced, but you're never like, you've never brought them up such as abortion. Abortion is such a taboo subject that once a woman has an abortion, it is an immediate secret. You know, now I realize that what happened was part of the abortion trauma. The baby's father did stick around because we had a baby. We went on to have a baby. What happened was when I had the abortion, I was so immediately sad and ashamed and regretful that I laid in my bed after the abortion that night and I prayed and I cried. Now, were you in church at that point? I was not. No, I was not. I was not in church, but people pray when they need God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause you don't have to be in church to pray, you know, cause sometimes you have those moments in life where you're just, you're reaching out. I mean, there was, when I was 17, I think I was 17 there was a point in my life. I just did. I wasn't sure if God existed or not. And I remember 
I remember praying and I had never forgot the prayer I had prayed, but I was just not in a happy place in my life. Yeah. So you don't have to be in church to pray that. I mean, there's drunks on the bar stool that pray. My mom took us to church whenever it was necessary, kind of take us to church some Sunday mornings. Now, was your mom a Pentecostal? No, my mom was, we were Catholic. We would go to church whenever it was necessary, whenever she was going through something. And so I knew my mom would pray the rosary. My mom did, you know, all these things that she knew to do. So I was uh, that night, I was in my bed and I was praying and, and, and the funny, not funny in a, in a ha ha way, but like the sad thing. Yeah. The ironic thing is that I'm in there, just had had an abortion and I'm in my bed and my mom has no idea. And I am crying inconsolably, but I am crying quietly because she can't hear me. I'm not, I don't want her to hear me. I asked God to give me a second chance. I said, God, would you please let me prove to you that I can be a good mom? Can you give me a second chance? Can you get me? Can you let me have another baby? I asked that. And I had my abortion in the summer of 86 and March of 87, I was pregnant. I became pregnant and December of 87, I had a baby. We had a baby. So it was the same uh, father. When I told my mom I was pregnant, she didn't realize that had had an abortion and she gave me choices. And that was one of the choices she gave me. You know, my mom said, you know, have you thought about, you know, having an abortion? Have you thought about whatever? And I said, I don't want to have an abortion. Well, I already had had an abortion. So I didn't want to tell her that, you know? And so she said, okay, well, if you don't want to have an abortion, you have to get married. And so by this time we were 19 and 18, you know, so he was 18 and I was 19. And so we got married and uh, it was not good. You know, it was, it was just not a good it wasn't a good uh, marriage at all. It was, there was abuse. There was verbal and, and physical and emotional abuse. So quickly after that, we probably three years, two and a half years, we were, we were divorced. After you had had the abortion and then you're here, you're in your first marriage. Do you feel like you, that you had any impact from that at that point? Yes. As soon as I had the abortion. I was just, it, it was, I mean, it's a devastating thing to have an abortion because you, you did this to yourself. And so you are not giving yourself permission to grieve the loss of this child. You internalize everything. And so I would have the most common thing that people talk about, women talk about is nightmares. I would have nightmares. I would wake up in cold sweat. I would wake up crying. I would wake up just saying, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. You know, it was just very traumatizing and tormenting. I did this for, for a little bit. Of course, you know, I, I'm married, you know, now. And so my husband would wake up with me and say, oh, it's okay. No, you're not, you know. And so he would calm me down. I go back to sleep. When I wake up in the morning, it was just this constant, oh my God, you know, what did I do? You know, I mean, you just can't take it back. Yes. So it, it, so I had all that, you know, all those things that I could not share or get help with or talk about with anyone. And that is so common, you know, women are thinking, you know, this is such a shameful thing. I deserve it. What about like going to the dentist is challenging because I have heard because of the sound of the noise, the, you know, like the drill and the different uh, instruments they use. Yes. And so I have a friend who is actually a very good friend of mine. And she 
speaks, speaks about her abortion. And she has shared that in public that it is hard for her to go to the dentist because she hears that because when she went in the office to, to get her abortion, the doctor said, okay, this is going to be a quick and easy thing. This is your, this is going to be kind of the suction that you use at the dentist's office. And they said that to her. And she said to this day, she cannot do any dental work on herself because of that sound. I, by God's grace was put to sleep. I, I was under anesthesia. So all I remember was a man walking behind me and putting a mask on my face from the back. He just put a mask on my face and said, I'm going to count backwards from 10. And so all I remember was number was eight. He said, 10, nine, eight. And then all I remember was me waking up in my bed. I don't remember how I got there. And I don't remember how I left. But then I remember the after effects, just the thinking, I could not take this back. Thankful that God had mercy and that I did not get to see or hear any of the experience. That's probably why you don't remember much of, like you said, you don't remember how you got there or how you got home, that sort of thing. So here you've gone through all these years, because this is, this was in 86. Here you've gone through these, all these years. And when did it get so bad because of the after effects? Because there are after effects. There's the emotional, mental, and I would imagine probably even some of the spiritual part of it. Yes. The funny thing is that I, you know, like we said before in the introduction, I've been in church for 28 years. I've been out with my abortion story for two years now, but for 26 years before that, I would pray at least 20, 30, 40 minutes. But every single time I prayed, I would ask God to forgive me for having had an abortion. This is almost 30 years later. I would pray every time I prayed, I would always ask God because for some reason, my sins all were fine, all were forgiven, but that one was just in a separate box. That one was just not, there was no way somebody can forgive that. I think that is a excellent way to describe it. When you go through something that's so hard and difficult, that really touches my heart because also I work with a lot of clients, you know, they go through things and there's always that one thing in their life. And they just, it's like, they can forgive everything else and get forgiveness about everything else, but that one thing, whatever that one thing is, and it's like, it's in its own separate box. And I think probably a very good description as a therapist, it, like, I don't know what to say, but I know they have to come to their own resolve about it. And so here you are, you're praying this for the last 30 years. And it's like, it's that one thing in the box, that one separate thing. Where do you get to the place that God does forget that, that, you know, he forgave you the first time. Yes. And see, this is why I think emotional healing with a person that can take you and walk you through that emotional healing, whether it's a therapist or just somebody like me, I'm not a professional counselor, but I am a trained facilitator for the recovery that has to come for abortion. I understand that now. I understand that it is taboo maybe for some people to go through counseling or through anything, because I have heard a lot of people say, well, all you need is the Holy Ghost and all you need is to repent and God will forgive you. I know what you're talking about. Let's go to the altar, leave it out at the altar. But then as soon as you get up and walk away, oh my goodness, whatever it was, it's like it kind of, if it smacks you in the face. And like you said, it's that whole 
you need that emotional healing. I mean, not only emotional, but you need the spiritual part of it too. And I think because you have to have somebody walk you through the steps, walk you through the reality of abortion, walk you through who are you blaming? Because there's women that have been forced to have an abortion. And there's women that blame that person or blame themselves or blame the baby's father or blame the industry or blame God for allowing them to do it or whatever. And then you come to forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a big step that you have to work through out loud and with prompting and skill. And then you have to come through closure. You have to come to the fact that this child, this was not just, I think one of the most wonderful things for me when I went through my recovery, my biggest takeaway from the recovery was that I can finally see my baby as a real person and not as a mistake. I know this baby is in heaven and this baby has a gender and has a name and he's just as much my child as the other three that I gave birth to. How did you find out about the recovery process? It was very interesting. God is so active in our lives in every part in mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually. I remember I was praying. It was November of 2018. I was praying in my classroom at that time and I was praying in there and I was reading my Bible. And I came across, I think it's John 2 and 30, the part where it says, I must decrease and he must increase. And I remember sitting in there praying that prayer. Like I read my Bible and I prayed, God, I want to decrease so you may increase. And I just prayed it from my heart. Like I had never prayed that before. And January of 2019, somebody sent me an email inviting me to the March for Life in Jefferson City, which is the capital in Missouri. This lady invites me to this March for Life. And my first thought, Denise, is like everybody knew I had an abortion. My first thought is like, why is she sending me this? I can't go there. I had an abortion. Now, did you know her? I didn't know her personally, but through some homeschooling activities, I knew of her. She had no idea. She had no idea. She was just sending you probably as like a homeschooling type of it. Hey, let's go support this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that she had no idea. And she's an advocate for women. She sends me this email and I just panicked. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't go. That was the 29th of January. She sent that. The March for Life was February 2nd of that next month, three, four days later. And I'm like, I'm not going to that. I am not going to that. For all these years, I had just stuffed this in the back of my mind. I thought about it, but I would never dwell on it. I just thought it's done. Never, you know, never again. Am I going to think about it? Talk about it? Nothing. February 2nd is a Saturday morning and I wake up and Denise, it's almost as if I have no control of my body. I get up, I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and I get dressed and I go to this march. And for the first time ever since I had the abortion, I'm driving to Jeff City and it's about 40 minutes from my house. And the entire drive, I am crying like I have never cried over this abortion. And I'm just saying, God, why did you do this? Why did you let me have this abortion? Why? This has been such a painful thing in my life. Why would you allow me to do this? You've kept me from so much. And I'm just screaming at God. And I'm just asking him why. Why did he do this? He he could have kept me from it. I get to the march and there's 700 people there. And I'm just so afraid because I feel like I have a spotlight on me. 
This is the woman that had an abortion. I come and join the group and there's people on the podium talking, you know, they're pro-lifers. And I'm just thinking if they only knew. And this woman, which the one I had mentioned before, Nancy Hall is my friend now, but she gets on the podium and she says, my name is Nancy Hall. And when I was 17 years old, I had an abortion. And I thought my whole world just stopped. I thought she just admitted that in front of all these people. And immediately God spoke to my mind in my heart and he said, that's going to be you. And I got a cold sweat. Wow. It was, it was the beginning of February. It was the middle of winter. No, I am never going to tell anybody. I am never going to tell anybody. She keeps speaking. She continues to talk about her abortion, her experience. And then I thought, okay, when I'm, when I'm done here, I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never going to come back to anything like this. And at the very end, she says, if you've had an abortion, Please go to this website. I'm a facilitator for taking women through the abortion recovery process. And immediately God said, that's your person. And I thought, I don't want a person. Long, very long story short, I found her in the middle of all those people. And I could see that I could trust her because she'd also had an abortion. And so I went to her very quietly and I said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I said, I just want to know if you think I should tell my sons about my abortion, because my daughter knew about my abortion. I had told my daughter, but I had never told my sons. I thought she was going to tell me, oh, it's in the past. Leave it alone. It's gone. And she said, oh, no. She said, I think you need to go through the recovery program. And I said, oh, no, I don't need it. And you see this lady, she's not an apostolic. And so I thought, oh, what does she know? I have the Holy Ghost. I've been baptized in Jesus name. God, I don't need a program. That's what I thought. Right. She insisted and something about her. I just said, okay, I'll do it. 20 days later, February 22nd, I'm in her home and she has it all set up for, for the sessions, you know, and she is just magnificent. She's an outstanding facilitator. She takes me through the recovery program in a weekend. It was three days I was I was with her. And I have to tell you, God is just so awesome. I may step on some toes right now, but God is okay with us seeking help outside of him. Right. I really think he is ordained women and men to have the ability to take people through recovery because this was so powerful and impacting. And the ironic thing, she told me between the time that, that we set up the appointment, which was February 2nd, to the time I had the actual healing sessions, it was 20 days. And she said to me, God is going to reveal a lot of things to you. And I thought, oh, whatever. And during those 20 days, God spoke to me like never before. And God revealed the name and gender of my baby. The Bible says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Right. It also says, I have called you by name. So all of these millions of babies that have been aborted have a name and have a gender and have a God-given purpose. My baby's name is Eric. Of course, you know, it was a boy. I just cried and I just thought, God, thank you. Thank you. Because he's real now. He's a person now. And so abortion recovery gives your baby personhood. He became a real soul. When I got to the sessions, when I got to her house, we were talking and she sat there during one of the sessions because they're divided into eight different sessions. And she said, okay, so what is your baby's name? She said, what is his name? And I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, I know I already know it's a boy because you referred to him in the, a couple of sessions ago as a he. 
And she said, I know God revealed that to you. And I said, yes. And she said, what is his name? And I know God revealed that to you also. And I said, yes, his name is Eric. You know, it was just so amazing. And so I know God is intertwined with all of this. He, he wants us to heal and he wants us to know. Before you continue, I want to go back to something you had said. Her name was Nancy. Is that correct? Yes. She was an apostolic. See, and I think that is such a key thing because... We as apostolic, as Pentecostals, or whatever whatever your faith or background is, we get so hung up on the idea that we can only seek out somebody who is of the same faith as we are. If we get sick, we go to our physician. Are we like asking them their what is your faith background? Cause I'm not going to see you. No, they have been trained and they're very well skilled in what they do. I mean, my physician, I just love her to death. I don't know if she listens to this podcast. I've told her about it. You know, she's a great physician. She's excellent. Are we the same faith? No, but that's okay. She's just an excellent physician. And that's the same thing with, with therapists. The likelihood to find an apostolic therapist is probably pretty challenging, but I will just say there are excellent therapists out there that are not of the same faith, because here's the thing. A therapist should never, just like a physician should never push their personal beliefs on you. I just want to pop that in there real quick, because if you're hurting, if you are hurting, I don't think God expects you to keep hurting. I think he wants you to get the help you need. That's how our healing starts. Healing oftentimes isn't immediate. Healing is oftentimes not miraculously immediately, because if we don't go through the healing process, how can we help anybody else? It's so needful that you've mentioned that because God taught me a lesson then. God, God taught me he could use anyone. Very thankful for Nancy. You know, she is spirit-filled. She's a Christian. She's just not apostolic. We don't believe exactly the same. I am so glad you brought that up because now that I work with this, I am in so many different ministries that for, for abortion recovery, for I'm in a helpline, you know, with women call and, you know, with, with a crisis, they just had an abortion or they're wanting to have an abortion or whatever. I'm part of 40 days for life, which you go to the clinic, you go to the abortion clinic and you pray at the clinic, you pray. So all these, all these people I'm involved in, none of them are apostolic, but they're all fighting for the same cause. I would be amiss if I said, oh, I can't because, you know, you don't believe what I believe. I, I think that it really is important for you to, to take the church out of the building and go and be in that community with other believers that don't believe that you what you believe, but that you can impact in some way. But when Jesus, he didn't stay inside the building, he took it to people. And I think the one story that really sticks out for me was he said, I must needs go to Samaria. And I always found it kind of interesting how that was worded. I must needs like I have this appointment with this person and she doesn't even know it. And, and, you know, I don't think I've ever heard this been preached before, but so he goes and he sends his disciples away to go get some lunch. He goes to the well and there's this woman, she had some type of belief because she says, you know, our father said, so she had some type of belief and, you know, here's the thing. And man, I feel the Holy ghost right now. She, she, 
when she got the revelation of who he is, who Jesus was, it was like, that was the missionary of the town. She was the evangelist of the town and look how many people she brought in her life. But it was like, man, what a testimony. Yes. And so one of the things that happened, the 40 days for life campaign is actually led and ran by Catholic people. I go to my local one, which is in Columbia, which is about 40 minutes away from me, kind of the other direction is Jeff City, but we had started the 40 days for life because it's twice a year, they do 40 days you pray outside of the abortion clinic, whatever abortion clinic is close to you. I was out there and I had my little knee thing that you kneel on, you know, my little pad. And I knelt on the, on the little lawn and I was praying and I knelt there for 40 minutes at the abortion clinic. And I'm, I'm holding onto the bars and there's a lady sitting on the lawn chair behind me also praying. She's praying her rosary. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm kneeling there praying. And I just pray like we pray, you know, just the way I pray. I didn't pray louder or softer or whatever. I pray just the way I pray. And I'm praying in that, in that abortion clinic, I'm praying for the babies and the mothers are going in there. And when I got up, the lady looked at me that was behind me and said, I have never seen this in my life. She said, wow, I have never, and I've been coming to pray here for forever. And I have never seen this before. I was just praying. She said, are you healed from your abortion? I said, oh, I am. But just her watching me pray did something for her that God can use this for his glory any way he wants. Right. You know, right. And that's a good point you bring up because we, whatever we go through life, whatever, whether we was violated or whether we, you know, whatever the case, God can take all those broken pieces, all those things we struggle with and whatever your story may be, may not be my story, but we all have those broken pieces. And here's the key thing is like, we can, yes, we ask for forgiveness and God does forgive us, but it's the thing of the way we begin to heal is we start helping others. That is one of the ways we begin to heal. And does it always feel good? <laughs> no, but man, it's just, it's like, as you, I mean, as you're helping others, you're healing in the process. And I have found that so true for myself. And then I get to watch people's lives transform and change. I get to watch it daily because of what I do for a living. So, so I want to go back to, so you found Nancy and you started these, these sessions with her and you said it's for 40 days. Is that correct? The 40 days for life is when you go pray at the abortion clinic for 40 days. Okay. The sessions with Nancy were, uh, there are eight sessions, but we did them in a week. It was three days. It was a three day, uh, kind of a retreat, you know, that she did at her house. So you stayed at her house while she did them? Yeah. And she has a whole area, like her and her husband live in the, in the main part of the house and the entire basement. She has it where it's set up for her to have the recovery sessions that she takes women through. Yes. Now, is it like that for everybody? Like where it's a whole weekend? Well, I have done it where I've taken women through the recovery sessions one day at a time. So we do one session, you know, one day, and then we do the next week, we do the next one. And so we take the whole eight weeks, Okay. you know, like one session per. So it said, whatever the, the reason that we did it that way is because we live three hours away we couldn't just, I couldn't drive three hours each week, you know, to go see her. And so we did it like that. And I mean, it works for her. She likes to do the weekend retreats. I can do the retreat or I can do the sessions individually. Currently, I'm going to start taking a lady through a recovery 
uh, one week at a time for eight weeks, she is going to uh, volunteer at a pregnancy center that I volunteer at. But um, I suggested to the to the actual nurse that works in the in the in the pregnancy center, I suggested that anyone that has gone through an abortion cannot or should not volunteer at a pregnancy resource center if she has not gone through healing. And so um, the, the nurse, of course, she hasn't gone through an abortion. So she agreed. She thinks that's a good idea. And so I'm getting ready to take that woman through an abortion recovery, but we're doing the eight weeks. We're doing one week, you know, at a time. And so that's, that's, it just is so important, you know, to whatever time, you know, whatever, whether it's the eight weeks or the weekend or, you know, every other week or whatever that you take that time. So what made you decide to, cause you could have done March of life or whatever other program is out there. What made you decide to, and what is the program again called? It's the program that I use is, is called surrendering the secret. And it is an awesome prog- program. It's a very awesome, I mean, the way it's written out, it's, it's, it's Bible, you know, it's Bible focused. It's scripture uh, focused. The lady that wrote it has, is post-abortive, but there's several out there. I've been through three programs now. There's one called Save One. Uh, there's one, uh, Rachel's Vineyard, which is in Texas. That one is in Texas. And uh, uh, Rachel's Vineyard is also a weekend retreat. And I've been to that one because like you said, healing doesn't just happen. Healing is a continuous thing. You know, even now when I talk about some of the things, you know, there's healing happening, even, even when I talk about, you know, so, so there's several of them. And what I think, well, what made me do it was God has me (laughs) on this path. So once, once I went through it with Nancy, my next step was to tell my sons about it, about my abortion. And Probably of all the things I've ever done in my life, that was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life because my two boys are, uh, you know, they just, they just think I'm the greatest mom, you know, on earth. And my, um, you know, my oldest one, well, they both preach, but my oldest one has said, you know, I have the best mom or whatever, you know? And so for me to say, I had an abortion, I I thought they were going to hate me. You know, I thought they were going to be like, you fraud, you know? And I think this is important for me to say, that is what women think that's going to happen. You know, right. People are not going to understand. They're going to hate me. And so I sat my two boys down. One of them was 31 and the other one was uh, Now, Did you sit them down at the same time or separate times? I just wanted to say the exact same thing to both of them. You know, I wanted it I wanted to say and so I called them to my home I, I said I want I have something to tell you and my oldest son said oh mom I thought you were going to tell me you and I were getting a divorce he said <laughs> he said it was just so he said it was you had such an urgency I thought you know something horrible something horrible is happening so I I had them in the room with me and it was just me and them and I started with the story I just started with the whole story they were quiet and once I was quiet and I let them speak my oldest one said because I started off saying I know you're gonna hate me I know you're gonna hate me after I tell you this after I stopped talking my oldest one the first words that came out of his mouth was were mom I hate that you ever thought we would hate you and so it was just so healing just to hear my boys say 
we love you. It's okay. You know, we understand. And one of the things my daughter said, you know, your kids are just the best teachers, you know, whether it's good or bad, but your kids will teach you a lot. Right. And one of the daughters said, because I told her, I said, Paige, I don't want to tell my daughter's name is Paige. And I said, I don't want to tell Rob and Alex, they're going to hate me. They're going to, they're going to hate me. And she said, mom, and this is just so important. I know the Holy ghost led her because she said, mom, nothing you have done in the past will change the kind of mother that you have been to us. And just those words gave me the, the strength and the permission to tell my boys. Now, when did you tell your daughter? And so that was another situation. I told my daughter, I didn't prepare. I didn't prepare her. It wasn't like a great mother daughter conversation. My daughter was talking to this young man and she wasn't dating him or anything. They were just talking on the phone, you know, and I didn't like him. I thought he was bad news. And so I kept telling my daughter, you know, and she was 18 in those years where you're rebellious and you're just, everything (laughs) is wrong, you know? And I said, Paige, I just don't want you to talk to that guy. I think he's bad news. And she's like, mom, you know, you don't want me to talk to anybody, you know? And I said, I just don't want you to make the same kinds of mistakes that I have made in my life. And you see, up to this point, all my kids know is my mom is an army wife. She's been a military wife all of our lives. She's a preacher's wife. She's a homeschool mom. You know, it's like this perfect picture that I they had of me. And so my daughter looked at me and she said, what kind of mistakes are you talking about? You know, and I blurted it. I blurted it to her. I said, Paige, I had an abortion when I was 18. And she was like, mom, I'm sorry. And I don't remember what happened after that, but I feel like I just needed to tell her. I just needed her to know because Denise, our silence is the devil's playground. It's his, it's his playground. And like you said, it's his greatest weapon greatest weapon our silence about these things that are happening these things are happening these things are happening in the church now I want to I do I want to talk about that because you when when I sat down there when we first met there in Austin when you started telling me the statistics I I had no idea had no idea at all what those statistics were what are the um just go over real quick like what are the statistics of women in the church who have had an abortion. Yeah, so one out of three women in the church or in, not in the church anyway, the statistics are one out of three women has had an abortion. We like to think, you know, women in the church, you know, this is not applying to us. But, but, but it does because like, if you think about sexual abuse, one out of yes. one out of four, by the time somebody reaches 18, it's one out of four, three to four fem- girls and one yes. out of five to six boys. By the time yes. they have reached 18 and that's in or out of the church. I'm going to tell you what, the statistics are on point. I don't care what anybody says. And this is the reason why I'm going to tell you why I'm going to prove it to you right now. My church that I go to is a home missions church. So that you know? how, how large of a church is it? So our church has probably, I'm going to say, 60 people that are, you know, 50 to 60 people that are, you know, right. That are solid, you know, faithful people. And then we have more some days, some days we have less, you know, but I counted. There are 20 women in my church that are 
solid, faithful women that come that, you know, that, that, that are faithful. And six of us have had an abortion. So you got three. There are six women. Right. So three times six, that's 18. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Out of, and, and one man. And one man. And one. So six women and one man. So I have had five women come up to me randomly or message me or polo me or whatever and told me I had an abortion. And so all uh, of and there's 60 people in your church. And so, and then, and then these, yeah, I mean, it's on point. It really is. And you know, that that's the other thing of it too. And I'm glad you mentioned that about the man because it does abortion does, it doesn't impact just the woman or the, or the girl. It impacts the guy too. There are guys out there not all of them are into a, like a cop-out, do whatever you want, any excuse will do. There are guys that genuinely did want the baby. Men don't have, you know, it's like this, uh, I am not a feminist at all. <laughs> I really hate that movement. Uh, the feminist movement didn't start the way it, it, it is now, you know, but um, women say my body, it's my body, it's my choice, you know, but then you take away that right from that man and you do whatever you want. But if you keep the baby, you're expecting that man to support your baby. Right. So it's just, it's hypocritical. I it, think, hypocritical, you know? but it's all, it's also a double standard. Yes. It's a double standard. Yes. Yeah. It's a double standard. I mean, it's like, you know, it's my choice, my body. Yeah. It, you know, as a woman, yeah, it is your choice. You're free to, but you know what? It took more than one of you to create that baby. Right. That's just the bottom line. If you're having sexual intercourse, Okay, somebody else was involved in that process. So yes, and so women away uh, the, the the men's voice, you know. And so I had I went through a Rachel's Vineyard, which Rachel's Vineyard is in is Houston, Texas, and it is just powerful. Uh, it's a powerful weekend of recovery. But there was a man in that in that session with all these women. There was like six women in that session and one man, and just hearing a man's voice about abortion was just so powerful because you get to hear the other side you know what I mean and this man had two girlfriends two separate girlfriends both of them chose abortion and he had no control over that and just hearing his pain his tears I mean being vulnerable and open about it and I think men feel like they cannot do that you know they cannot do that because it was not them that went through the through the procedure but but it is them you know Mm -hmm. it is it is their baby it is that was their part of them also, you know? Right. So that is very important for men to have the voice and men to be able to talk about, about that. So, so about a year, it was about a year after I went through my recovery. Well, it was not even a year. I went through my recovery in February and the March for life in 2020, uh, in, in Washington, DC, uh, there is also an organization called Silent No More. And I don't even know how I got involved with this organization. Not even a year after I stood. You remember I told you I was in that place in the in the in the um at Jefferson City when I got there and I heard Nancy speak. Right. And God said that it wasn't even a year later, it was the next January 2020. I went to the March for Life and I gave my abortion testimony 
in front of the Supreme Court, in front of thousands of people. So you were giving your testimony to the Supreme Court? Not to the Supreme Court. We were on the steps of the Supreme oh, Court okay. because the March for Life happens in Washington, D.C. Yes. And it's the biggest march for life in the, in, the, in the world. You know, it's the biggest march for life in Washington, D.C. And there is a group of women every year. They stand on the steps of the Supreme Court and they give their abortion testimony on how on how abortion hurts women, you know. And so when God spoke to me that year, that first year, when I when I was there just to hear people talk about it. God said, that's going to be you talking about your abortion. I said, oh, no, I got a cold sweat. And I thought, no way. Not even a year later, I was standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, giving my testimony to thousands of people. Somebody recorded it on Facebook and it was shared. It was shared more than a thousand times. Oh, my goodness. Now, see, I did not know that about you. Well, it, doesn't, it wasn't shared at the, I'm, I'm sorry, let me take that back. It was shared about, it was shared hundreds of times. I can't remember, but it had thousands of views. It had thousands of views on Facebook and people were just sharing it, you know? And so I just standing there on the Supreme Court steps and me saying, you know, I regret this, you know, and telling my story was so powerful because all of my friends on Facebook that new sister camp, you know, now know with no, with no warning, you know, that sister camp had an abortion when she was a teenager and it completely changed the dynamics of my whole ministry in my life. And that is the hardest, that's the hardest step to take when God deals with you. Hey, I want you to make this public knowledge. When I did, um, when I did the one on, so episode four is on spiritual abuse. And I don't know about you with, with giving your testimony, but for me, man, I was sick. Like I was physically sick for about a month after doing that. I called it the vulnerability hangovers. And it was just like, what in the world did I do? But after that, it was so free. It was so yes. free. I don't think people realize the freedom because I was, I was going to tell you that ever since I gave my testimony. So it was, I didn't share it. It was just people who heard it and then people would share it, share it, share it, share it. You know, I have to go back and see how many times it's been shared now. I have, I have now I'm curious, but I have had even to this day, have had women message me, private message me on messenger or text me or call me or polo me. I had an abortion. I had an abortion. I had an abortion and I, I'm sworn to secrecy. You know, my, my main thing is confidentiality, but I had a girl in the church, but she messaged me about a year and a half ago. And she said, sister camp, I wrote this message and deleted it a hundred times. I am so afraid to let anybody know, but I wanted you to know. And so we talked about it. Her dad is a minister. And she said that she was so afraid to disappoint her dad, the baby's father. She said that they, he prompted her to have an abortion, which leads me to believe that he's done this in the past, you know? And so she said, you know, he prompted her to have the abortion and then he was out of the picture. But she said, I wish I had known your story. 
if I had known your story before I had the abortion, I would have reached out to you before and I would have asked for help. And so this tells me that these girls, I mean, this one girl reached out to me, but it's happening in the church. This girl is a girl in the church that that this happened to. If you're having sex in the church, if you're, if you're an unmarried young person and you're having sex in the church, your, your spiritual life is already not where it's supposed to be. The next step is an abortion, which is probably easier if you're not where you're supposed to be spiritually. Right. That take, brings us to a good, a good place to um, start wrapping this up. And man, I've got chills, but I just want you to speak to that person out there. Actually, two different people. So the one who is thinking about contemplating about having an abortion, and then I want you to talk to the person who has had an abortion. This is emotionally, uh, you know, charged for me because I I do work in a helpline with uh, post-abortive women that call uh, from all over the country. And so I just had this conversation with a girl um, that was intent on having an abortion to the person that is contemplating an abortion, whether church or not, you know, in church or not in church. I want to say I have had so many women, so many, I want to say there's hundreds of women, millions of women that regret having had an abortion, but I have never met a woman that said to me, I regret having my child, you know? So to that girl that I I want to validate your situation. The minute you got pregnant, your life changed. No matter what your choice is, your life is already changed forever. Whether you're pregnant and going to have the baby, whether you're going to parent, whether you're going to uh, place the baby for adoption, whether you're going to have an abortion, your life will never be the same. You know, all of the, all of the choices will be hard but we need to choose the hard that is going to be the best hard, you know? And for me, that hard, the the, the hard that I choose would be to have the baby, you know, to give life to that baby that is already depending on you. That when you become pregnant, you become a mother. And when you have an abortion, you are, you are still the mother, but now you're a mother of a dead child. To the woman that has had an abortion, I want to say, stop letting the enemy keep you from sharing your story. Stop letting the enemy keep you from being healed. Because your, your story and your testimony is powerful. And God is just sitting at the edge of his seat, <laughs> waiting to use your testimony for his glory. And so, so recovery is so important, whether you do it with a person that is, you know, that is specializing on on abortion recovery, such as myself, or whether you do it with a therapist, just talking about it with someone, you know, telling someone about your story, telling your children, your, your husband, a lot of women haven't even told their husband, you know, I think the biggest fear for women is that people are going to hate you. People are not going to understand that people are going to judge you and shun you. And in the two years that I have been out with my story, I have yet to come up with that person that has been ugly to me, you know, 
every single person in the church or out of the church has been compassionate and has understood and has been just another oil, another layer of oil on my womb, on my wound, you know, just another layer, layer of oil. You know, I, I had a lady who was not in the church and she said to me, that is not who you are today, you know? So yes, we chose abortion because our situation was hard and the devil lied to us and told us we couldn't do it, but that is not who we are today. So I would like to, I would like to encourage that woman that is, is suffering with the pain of abortion and with the shame that you will always have regret, but you can through recovery, um, get rid of the shame and the stigma. This is so powerful, powerful, powerful stuff today. Oh, I, I think I'm honestly at a loss for words, which is not very easy for me. Uh, because this needed to be told your, your story needed to be shared and, and people needed to be given hope of, you know, that their situation, it's not hopeless, that their situation is where they, they can be forgiven, you know, cause the only ones that really do not forgive is the, ourselves. And so I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Well, I think as a therapist, I think I'm gonna, I'm going to talk to you more but I would like to go through the, now I personally have not had an abortion, but I know I get clients that have. And so I think I want to go through that, that abortion recovery, just so I can get a better idea and in stepping up my game, Absolutely. man, I'm just like blown away today. Uh, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate you sharing your testimony. I really appreciate what you were doing for those who have gone through an abortion, because your, you know, your testimony is powerful and so encouraging. And it just makes me, you know, your testimony, it just makes me more proud of who you are as a person and as my friend. And uh, so I think you always said, you keep telling me that you're my fan. I think I'm your fan too now. So uh, (laughs) if you want to get in touch with Adriana, about the post-abortion recovery, send me an email to therealtalk238 at gmail.com. I will make sure to pass uh, your information along to her. And so that way she can reach out to you. And, and so that you will have those, if you need skills or maybe, maybe your church wants to have some type of, some type of ministry that is around post-abortion recovery. I think that would be an awesome ministry for a church, you know? So just, just again, email me at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. And until next time, you know, if you know somebody that this podcast would just really touch or bless their life, or, you know, somebody who has had an abortion, share this podcast with them because you just never know what impact that might make in their life. And until next time, everybody have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. 
You can also find The Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at The Real Talk 238. As a reminder, The Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.